Well, I hope that you are excited about going to see the king. If you know the king of all kings, then you ought to be. If you are one of his children, then you ought to be looking forward and longing for the day. It's been a good week. It's been an exciting week as we Americans have celebrated and given thanks to God for great freedoms and opportunities. And thank you for those that came and celebrated those freedoms with us this past Wednesday night during our freedom celebration service. What a good time that we had together. And we uh, do give God great thanks for his work, for his grace, and for uh, those that he has used in our nation. And we know that we are privileged and grateful, ought to be grateful, and giving him the glory day after day, month after month, year after year. Uh, And we also know uh, that as followers of Jesus, the best is yet to come. Uh, That we long for another land, we look forward to another day, we look forward to the time when we will gather in God's presence, when we will worship Him and exalt His name and enjoy being His. And our text for this morning and really over the the next three weeks or so uh, prepares us and I hope encourages us and excites us about uh, being with Him forever and ever and ever. Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me today to Revelation Chapter 21 will be in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8 this morning. You can find this text on page 1004 uh, if you're using a pew Bible. Uh, And we're going to uh, read this text and and consider a message titled Forever with God. But before we read our text, uh, let me uh, point out that in 1973, uh, Bob Dylan recorded one of his hit songs uh, titled Forever Young. Uh, as a tribute and a prayer for his oldest son, uh, Jesse, who was just a boy at the time, expressing his desire for his son, for his boy to remain strong and vibrant and happy all the days of his life. He's saying, may God bless and keep you always. May your wishes all come true. May you always do for others and let others do for you. May you build a ladder to the stars and climb on every rung. May you stay May you stay forever young, forever young, forever young. May you stay, stay forever young. You know, the moment that we're born, uh, we begin to age. In the early years, it's growth. But as we all know, it soon becomes aches and pains. Countless dollars are, uh, some of you are laughing, like, what do you know about aches and pains? Point taken, but there are folks in this room younger than I am. But countless dollars are spent uh, every year trying to slow down this aging process. But if we're honest, we know that eventually discomfort and decay and even death will come. And according to the scriptures, according to God's word, uh, this is not just true of people. The whole world is in chaos. Creation has been disrupted by sin, but God has other plans. He has better plans. He has corrective plans for his people. Jesus once said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, life and life to the full is what Jesus came to provide. A promise for his people that we begin to experience here on this earth, but the fullness of which we will not enjoy until he returns. Paul said it this way in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those 
who love him. And so our text for today begins to provide a picture, a portrait, an image of what Jesus and Paul meant by these truths. And so we look at it together with, I hope, great anticipation. Would you join me standing for the reading of God's word this morning from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and following. John writes, he continues, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Would you bow with me as we seek the Lord? Father, this morning we do bow before you. We recognize that we are here today for you. Lord, we need to hear from you and we thank you for your word. We express our faith in you and our trust in your word. Even so, Lord, we acknowledge that we need you. We need your spirit to guide us, to clarify, to instruct, to encourage, to rebuke us, to challenge us. Lord, that we might be thoroughly equipped to serve you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you've been with us recently uh, at all, then you likely know that we've been journeying uh, through the book of Revelation. We've been walking through this final uh, book in God's Word. And in our journey through Revelation, uh, we have finally moved beyond plagues and judgments and battles and into two of the most beautiful chapters in all of God's Word. The dragon, or Satan, who has been uh, one of the key characters in John's revelation, is not mentioned here. There's no mention of the devil here. You see, you won't find him in this part of God's story. He is not there, for he will be imprisoned in the lake of fire for all eternity. Church, the devil and all his pawns will be confined to a real, horrendous, and deserved hell forever and ever, but we will enter a new heaven and a new earth. We will enter a new heaven and a new earth. And I use we this morning to depict what is to come for all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. All those who surrender and serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, what was broken and cursed and undone through humanity's rebellion against God recorded in Genesis chapter 3 is now fully reconciled, restored, and recreated in Revelation chapter 21. 
Now, there's a good bit of speculation among believers about what heaven is going to be like. We probably all have some sort of mental image of what heaven is going uh, to be like. We, we want to know what it's, what it's going to be like. But uh, if, you, if your idea of heaven doesn't include uh, a physical, bodily presence and enjoyment of God's creation, then I think you are shortchanging paradise. In other words, heaven isn't simply going to be a place where Christian souls sort of float around on the clouds and listen to music. There's going to be a new earth that at least to some degree reflects this earth. Scholars debate whether or not the scriptures teach that the present earth will be totally destroyed and then recreated or whether it will simply be renewed and restored to its pre-fall condition. Different texts tend to emphasize one or the other. Romans 8 seems to imply renewal. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 verses 20 and 21, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. But Peter and Second Peter seems to portray total destruction before recreation. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, a text we read last week. Peter writes, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. He says the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire in the earth and everything done, it, done in it will be laid bare. So perhaps then it's a combination of the two. Perhaps uh, it's a combination of, of renewal through destruction. But either way. I think the Bible is clear that the new heaven and the new earth will be physical and include breathtaking scenes and life-giving components that God has designed for our good and our enjoyment, not only in this life, but also in the next. Now, let's be honest as we wrestle with our text this morning. some, Some of us, at least initially, are maybe a little bit disappointed by what we read at the end of verse 1. There was no longer any sea. Some of us like to fish. Uh, some of us like to, to water ski and, and boat and tube. Some of us uh, like to look out upon the ocean waves crashing upon the, the sandy beach. So w- what does John mean when he says there's no longer any sea? Well, in John's day, the sea stood for chaos and turmoil, danger, demons. It was the home of sudden storms and sea monsters. It was the realm of one of the beasts that he introduces us to back in chapter 13, representing secular authorities or the Antichrist who opposes Jesus and his kingdom. So I don't think John is saying that there won't be any water in heaven. In fact, chapter 22 describes a life-giving river that flows from the throne of God. I think he's saying that all the danger that his original audience associated with the sea would be absolutely eliminated in the new heaven and the new earth. And so heaven is a real place. And according to uh, the text, it's inhabited by real people. Verse 2, he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. A real place with real people. And here those people are described by two images, God's city and Christ's bride. The holy city is the bride of Christ. Verses 9 and 10 clarify this. We'll get to that next week. But images that suggest glorious and unhindered community in heaven. I'm convinced that our very best relationships and friendships here on this earth 
only begin to get at the level of connection and communication and friendship that we will all experience with other believers in heaven. Communion with other servants of the Most High God, but not just communion with one another. Uh, More significant than that, we will commune with God. We will commune with God Himself. A perfect relationship with the eternal and almighty maker of heaven and earth. Verse 3, a voice from the throne says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the central gift of heaven. We will be forever with God. We will enjoy unhindered and unlimited access to the high king, the Lord of all lords, the creator of all life, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb that was slain for us. We will be with him and we will know him like we've never, ever known him before. Has God ever felt distant from you? Even as a believer. Perhaps even as a believer who cultivates an ongoing relationship and walk with the Lord, at times God seems to feel distant. Perhaps even in the midst of of praying and reading His Word and and worshiping, something sometimes still stands in the way. You know that He loves you, but you don't always feel His nearness. Friends, that feeling will soon fade away. Never ever to return. For in heaven we will commune with Him day by day by day by day for forever. We will see Him face to face for our sin will no longer stand in the way. As believers, we we know this spiritual truth to some degree now. We know it in part now. For the blood of Christ, the Lamb that was slain for us, allows us to Approach God knowing that He forgives and He loves and He welcomes us. The author of Hebrews states it this way in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, since we have confidence, we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that is, uh, the innermost part of the tabernacle and then the the temple and then uh, really representing the presence of God, the fullness of God's presence. Since we have confidence to enter into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus, verse 22, let us draw near to God. Let's approach Him with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. In other words, since we can come before Him through the blood of Jesus, let's do so and let's do so often. Friends, Christians know communion with God here and now. We are already a part of Christ's people and His kingdom, but we are not yet experiencing the fullness of His presence and His kingdom because we remain in a fallen world filled with human sin. But in heaven... We will no longer experience sin or its effects. We will no longer experience sin or its effects. John John writes in verse 4, he says, He, meaning God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Have you ever wiped away someone's tears? I dare say that probably every... Every spouse, every parent, every teacher, every grandparents has, has done that. The Bible says that in heaven God will wipe away our tears. I saw a few tears of joy yesterday at a wedding, a wedding celebration of Madeline Edwards and Joe Ferris, but that's not what the scriptures are describing here. 
See, most often tears represent sadness and sorrow and pain. And so the removal of tears implies joy and comfort in life. Isaiah described it this way in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 10. It says, God's people will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Never, ever again will we cry over the news of cancer. No Parkinson's. No Alzheimer's or dementia. No doctor's appointments or therapy sessions. Depression will forever give way to celebration. No hospitals or surgery or rehab. Funeral homes will be put out of business. Cemeteries will be empty. No more awkward conversations in the visitation line wondering, what am I going to say? No more eulogies. No more prayers for healing. They will be unnecessary. Can you imagine Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings, and notice that he acknowledges sufferings, from beginning to end, the Bible declares that we experience suffering and hardship here in this life. We know this to be true. To say that we don't would be foolish and nearsighted. Suffering is found, even for God's people, people of faith here in this life. He says, I consider, though, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Church, we will enter a new heaven and a new earth. We will commune with God Almighty. We will no longer experience sin and its effects, and we will rest in God's sure promises. We will rest in His sure promises. I was talking with a friend just the other day about the weather forecast. And we were outside preparing to uh, play some tennis. And we had been watching the hourly uh, forecast. And we took note of the fact that the hourly forecast seemed to change even up to the last minute, predicting what was coming ahead. And uh, he, he made a comment that he noticed that his weather app uh, was offering 96-hour hourly forecast for a small subscri- subscription fee. And so he thought, you know, you can't get the first 48 hours right. Why in the world would I spend more money for it to be wrong? It's a good point. You know, there are some things in this life that we just can't know for sure. Even the experts in some fields can only predict with limited accuracy and certainty. But there is one whose forecast is always right. Every single time. Verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, don't miss this, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, God says, John, you can be sure of this. So preserve it. Preserve this message. Preserve it. For generations to come, write it down for Meadowbrook Baptist Church will need to hear this truth on July the 7th, 2019. How how do we know the portrait of heaven is accurate? Because God said it is done. And if you study scripture very long, then you, you know that sometimes the authors, the human authors of God's word declare future realities as if they're present realities. 
speak of future events as if they're already taking place. Because if God is promising something, then it is as good as done. Friends, he is the Alpha and the Omega. First and last letter of the Greek alphabet. But he's more than a letter. He's saying that he is the one who stands outside of time. The one for whom there was never a time when he was not. He is the beginning of all things. Every living person or thing finds its origin in him. And he is the end of all things. Meaning in the end all will face him. Either forever enjoying him because of Jesus our Savior. Or forever separated from him as a result of our sin. And once again... The message of God's word is consistent. Paul affirms the same truth. The same realities of what John is writing here. Writing about the centrality of the resurrection. The centrality of of Jesus' resurrection from the dead in the first century. But also ours that rests upon his and upon his return. Stating with confidence. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 52. For the trumpet will sound. He says the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And reflecting on those truths, Paul then says to the church, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Persevere in the faith. Serve the Lord. Why? Because you can rest assured that God is faithful. So his promises are true. Victory over sin and death will soon be realized by those who trust Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we will enjoy God and his gracious provision. We, all believers, followers of Jesus Christ, will enjoy God and his gracious provision forever. God says, verse 6, he says to the thirsty... I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. Church, the greatest thing about heaven is that we will be forever with God in perfect relationship with the one we were made to know. Called his children and cared for through the abundant and never ending provision and protection of our father. And his character is such that those who know him want more of him. If you truly know him in a personal way, you want more of him. Because he is patient and he's kind. He is sovereign and powerful, gracious and good. He is transcendent and yet he's imminent. He is lofty yet he's near the lowly. He is the Lord of armies yet he is the God who saves. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? 
You see, those who know his character want to be with them. And until then, he invites all who do not know his character to taste and to see that he is good. That he satisfies. That he offers us all that we need. Jesus said, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Spiritual satisfaction and provision and sustenance from the Savior that will last forever and ever and ever. That will be all that we need. But verse 8 reminds us, warns us, reminds us that not all will enjoy God and His gracious provision. But says those who are victorious will inherit all this. Those who are victorious or those who overcome, recall Christ's words to the seven churches recorded in chapters 2 and 3, calling His people to remain faithful. To witness and to persevere to the very end. Another warning here against loving and clinging to anything in this life more than we love and cling to Jesus. The caution about thirsting after sin more than we thirst after Jesus. Friends, God gives new and eternal life to those who thirst for Him. New and eternal life to all those who thirst for Him. I would give Living water, without cost. Without cost, a reminder that salvation could never be earned. That it is only by God's grace. That He is a God who provides for us what we can never do on our own. That He is the one that rescues and redeems us. And yet it is a grace. It is a love that once received, compels us, causes us to want more of Him. To long for Him. To desire to know and to live for Him. Though we lived centuries before the coming of Christ, King David knew what it was like to be thirsty. He knew what it was like to be in a desert, being chased by his enemies, physically parched. But he also knew what it was like to wonder why God was not intervening. Why God was not seemingly doing something about His present circumstances, spiritually discouraged. David knew God. And he wanted to be satisfied again by the nearness of God. Psalm 63, he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek You. I thirst for You. My whole being longs for You. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. He says, I have seen You in the sanctuary. And beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. He thirsted after God. Friend, do you thirst for God? Do you thirst for God? Do you you want to know Him? To be forever with Him? Do you want to be His and enjoy the provision of His presence, the truth is that you will never, ever be satisfied apart from knowing Him. You will search and you will search and you will search until you submit to Him. Perhaps you are longing today for purpose and significance. 
Maybe you're longing for satisfaction and knowledge of the truth. The one who is the way and the truth and the life offers himself to you today. Your maker, your sustainer, and your savior invites you to take the free gift of true life today. The living water. In fact, Revelation closes. John closes in chapter 22, verse 17, saying the spirit and the bride, that is God's people, say come. And let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Friend, have you received the free gift? Thirst after God. Thirst after Him and be satisfied now and forever and ever. Forever with God, our Father. Friend, do you call Him Father? Do you call this one? This King of kings and Lord of lords, this almighty maker of heaven and earth, the one who is holy and set apart and lofty and incomparable, the one who is unmatched. Is he your father? Do you call him father? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've repented and trusted in Christ for salvation, then you are right with God. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. You're washed. God no longer holds your sin against you. He looks at you and He sees the righteousness of His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And He delights in you and He longs for you. He desires for you to approach Him as your Father. So believer, commune with Him. Walk with Him. Talk with Him. Speak to Him. Delight in Him. And long to be with Him. But Maybe you don't know Him as your Father. Maybe you've not turned to Jesus Christ. God is offering salvation, the free gift. Living water without cost. Gift of eternal life. Receive His gift. Repent and believe. Experience salvation and forgiveness of sins. Abundant life here and now as Jesus came to offer an eternal life with Him forever. Repent and turn. Trust in Jesus. Receive and enjoy being one of His now and forever. Would you bow with me? Father, gracious Father. Good and loving Father. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your provision. Father, we thank you for your patience with us. Lord, we thank you that the return of of your son, Lord, will come in your perfect timing. And Lord, we thank you that according to your word, you you, you tarry because you don't want anyone to perish. You don't wish anyone to perish, but everyone to repent and come to Christ. Father, I pray for us this morning, those that are gathered in this room, Lord, I pray that we would commune with you. I pray that we would be a people who delight in you. Father, I pray for believers, Christians, followers of Jesus who gather here week after week and open your word and sing your praises. Lord, I pray that we would grow in our walk with you, that we would immerse ourselves in your word, that we would bow before you in prayer, that we would delight in you. 
And Father, I pray for others that are here today and that will join us on other occasions that do not know you. Lord, may your spirit pierce their hearts. May you lead them to repent and turn to you. Father, I pray that every one of us gathered in this room this morning would respond to the truths of your word in a way that exalts the name of Jesus and expresses dependence upon him and faith in him and delight in the almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, lead us now as we respond, as we stand, as we sing, as we confess sin, as we we turn to Christ, as we trust in you. Lead us to respond in a way that glorifies your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.